You're listening to the Footnotes Podcast, the weekly sermon companion from the teaching team at Real Life. This is a chance to dig a little deeper, chase a few rabbit trails, and touch on some topics that the team may have not been able to fit into their Sunday sermons. We hope this provides a glimpse behind the scenes at the discussion that helps form each week's message. Welcome to Footnotes. I'm Paul. We got Aaron in the house. Hello. Derek. How you doing? Marty. Greetings. And his podrishner Talmudian person, Kevin. Hello. Uh, so this week we're on Romans 15, getting close to wrapping it up. We uh, we referenced all these remezes when Paul rapid-fires all these quotes, four of them from the Old Testament, and just briefly touched on what Paul was attempting to do. So what we wanted to do today was to pull those apart a little bit more and talk about and talk about them. So Marty, I'm just going to pitch it to you because you have all the research and you're the expert on this one. All right. Well, Paul's going to throw four passages, one right after another, which frustrates us when we're reading Romans in the English because it's hard to read. You got all these passages that he keeps referencing. But as we've learned before, uh, when a Jew, a Jewish teacher does this, um, almost always very intentional and on purpose. So uh, your gut instinct is going to tell you you're going to want to go back and and look at these four passages, look at their context, look at what they're saying, because Paul is putting an argument within the argument. So he's bearing an argument here for his Jewish listeners. And so there's four passages we want to go back to. Um, the first one is either a reference to Psalm 18 or uh, 2 Samuel 22. Um, they're the same song uh, written by David, and um, that's going to make a ton of sense. Uh, that it's in Psalms, it's going to be the song that David wrote. But I'm going to use Second Samuel because it gives us the context. So, um, in in Second Samuel, uh, David is at the end of his life, and he writes this this song, and it comes right before the last words of David. So one one can assume the way this is written that this is one of the this comes towards the end of of David's time. And he writes this long song, and towards the end, it kind of seems like he caps this song off with like the great lessons he's learned. The great lesson that he's learned is that God is for him, and he's going to avenge his enemies. So I'll read this last paragraph. He's, it, it says here, it says, The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be God, the rock, my Savior. He is the God who avenges me who puts the nations under me, who sets me free from my enemies. You exalted me above my foes. From violent men you rescued me. And then here's what Paul quotes. Therefore I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing praises to your name. He gives to his king great victories. He shows unfailing kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. So I think part of where Paul's at in Romans when he quotes this is he's trying to wrap up this argument about how God's people feel about these Gentiles. And on some level, I think these Gentile, these, these Jews are going to feel like these Gentiles are their enemies. Like they're the pagans, there's this group of people that have stood against us, they bring in all their idolatry. Like, I don't think it would be hard for us to relate. It, it might be hard for us to be honest, maybe, about where we're at in our own culture. But I don't think it's hard for us to relate to this idea of these Gentiles coming in um, 
and viewing them as almost like an enemy, like a foe. Like, they're what's wrong with the world, all these Gentiles. And Paul references this passage where David says, you know, one of the things I've learned is that God avenges me, which is an idea he's referenced earlier in Romans, where he says, leave room for the wrath and the vengeance of God. So this fits something. I think, Aaron, you were saying he's also brought this up earlier in the letter as well. Is that correct? Yes, it is correct. <laughs> he wasn't ready for that. Oh, I was. I was trying to remember exactly where I was. Where I was referencing that, the the leave room for God's vengeance that's all over Romans twelve. Uh, I think I'm a. I think I'm a passage ahead of you because I think we we're talking about the next passage he references about uh, Deuteronomy thirty two, and uh, and that conversation. I think is where you brought that up. You'll have to refresh my memory on that conversation. Yeah. I carry. I, I totally did. I remember saying that. I don't remember where it came from. All right. You guys have... We can edit that part out. Do you guys have anything you want to throw in at this point in the conversation? Uh, uh, no. All right. Yeah, just keep going. All right, Marty Cast, here we come. So the next, uh, the next piece that Paul references is he's going to tie this passage to Deuteronomy 32, which is also the end of a song. So the first passage he quotes is the end of David's song, but then he's going to jump back. So he's now referenced the prophets in Samuel, uh, and he's referenced the books of Moses in Deuteronomy. Um, so you can expect the fact that the prophet's going to come next is probably a psalm, or some form of writings in the Ketuvim. So uh, we can kind of expect that. But nevertheless, uh, Paul's going to say, reference here, Deuteronomy 32, at the very end of the, at the end of the song, and part of this is going to be the context of the song. So the song comes at the end of Deuteronomy, right before God's people are going to enter into the promised land. Moses gives them a song to remember where they've came, where they've come from and somewhat to talk about their future. And the song is a really weird song, because the song essentially says, you stand on the edge of the promised land, and you're going to go in and screw it up. Like, you are going to screw this up. But here is how you're going to come back to God. And one of the rabbis that we've learned from, Rabbi David Foreman, he has a teaching on this online at alephbeta.com. I believe it's .com, maybe .org. And uh, you could see that there. But this is a really interesting song. But the song ends with Paul's quotation. Uh, Rejoice, O nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants. He will take vengeance on his enemies and make atonement for his land and people. So another end of a song and another song that ends talking about God taking vengeance. Only this time, the song is spoken against the people of God and the encouragement is given to the nations or the Gentiles. That was what I was talking about earlier when Paul is saying that it's the the disobedience has uh, brought yeah. the Gentiles in and the Gentiles coming in has made the Jews jealous and that's their goal. is The goal of all this is not that anybody feels good or bad or right or wrong. It's that the, the Jews are brought back in because of what they see happening with the Gentiles and they become jealous of that. Right. I love that. Romans 11, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just a, a, a matter of point, because some, someone might go look this up. 
uh, depending on what version they have, it may not say rejoice with him, O nations. It might say rejoice with him, O heavens. Um, Correct. And so we, we get the O nations from the Dead Sea Scroll on this one in the uh, Masoretic text. Um, so just so people know. Obviously, Paul, whatever uh, Septuagint Paul was working with, he stated right. all nations. Right, absolutely. Which is, which is important because the nations would be a reference to the Gentiles. Uh-huh. So that's a key word. It's yeah. not just a fun little detail about that. Because at the end of Deuteronomy 32, if it's nations, as Paul quotes it, uh, then that definitely, it becomes this song about, at the end of the song, the encouragement goes out to the nations, goes out to the Gentiles to rejoice, mm-hmm. because God is going to make the world right. So if you follow Paul's line of thinking, which is just brilliant in how he's tied those two passages together, they're both the end of two songs. Both of the ends of these songs talk about vengeance. But the first one is God's people saying, God takes care of my enemies. Hmm. But then the second song is a song about God's people telling the Gentiles, don't worry, God takes care of your enemies, which happens to be my people. And so... What in the world is going to go on here? So then Paul quotes Psalm 117, which is this tiny little psalm. Two verses, right? Yeah, two verses long. I'll read the whole psalm. Brace yourself. (laughs) Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Hmm. So he then quotes a psalm about the Gentile. Like, this is a psalm for the nations. This short psalm about... All the nations have to praise God. And here's a song that allows you to praise God. So, how in the world do we get from allowing God to take vengeance on our enemies, thinking that those enemies are the Gentiles, to the fact that we screw up our call, to the fact that Gentiles are supposed to be praising God? If we're going to let God take care of our enemies like we thought David said... How is it that our enemies are going to be praising God? Like, if I want God to take out his wrath and his vengeance on my, on my Gentile enemies, why is there a whole psalm dedicated to their praise of God? Hmm. And to there, to that end, Paul will go to Isaiah 11, which is the famous passage, I think we would call it a messianic passage, mm-hmm. talking about that branch from Jesse, which is brilliant. Yeah, before you go there, I, I just love that this one, this psalm, uh, rather than revenge or enemies, is talking about his love and his faithfulness. Exactly. Like, Correct. I uh, love that, too. Uh, part of the reason that we talked on Sunday about um, let the love of God be the love of God. Mm-hmm. Like somewhere in here, you've got to let the love of God write the narrative. Write the narrative that God's telling in the world. Because somehow we got from vengeance on my enemies to those same enemies praising God. Now what I love about quoting the, the, the text about the branch of Jesse is we started with David and he's going to bring it back around to the branch yeah. of Jesse. I love that. Um, and you could read like the first few stanzas of Isaiah, but it talks about the branch that will come out of Jesse's stump and... Uh, this messianic figure and then all of a sudden verse 10 it says this this is where Paul quotes in that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples and the nations will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious 
So Paul starts with vengeance, references the fact that God also takes vengeance when God's people lose the plot of the story, then goes to where God, the enemies are praising God, and then quotes Isaiah and says, this is how the narrative of God is supposed to go. Hmm. Like all the way back in the days of Isaiah, 700 years ago, God was, God was telling us that our job was to make our enemies God's friends. Like we were going to be the place, Jews, the Jewish people were going to be a place to establish, I love that phrase, his place of rest will be glorious. <coughs> yes. Like the nations will come streaming to God's people because this branch has arisen out of Jesse's stump and the nations find a place of rest that is glorious. And once again, he's... He's referencing an idea he's already talked about when he was talking about the tree and the branches and the roots. Absolutely. Um, yeah, if you if you go back and just read the, like, starting on verse 6 of Isaiah, um, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. Um, the cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. Uh, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Like this is, by him quoting this messianic text, like he's, he's letting them know this has been the mission all along. Right. And boy, doesn't that fit what he was just saying in Romans 15. Yeah. Like, we can all instruct each other. I think of those phrases about the little child will lead them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd be interested to see if that word lead has any teaching connotation. Oh, as a youth pastor, heck, sure as heck yeah. does, does, do, does, do's. do's. Uh, in fact, we're, we're doing a season right now about, just called teens, talking about how God uses teenagers um, and how the majority of uh, the disciples were teenagers. Um not just when Jesus called them, but even right. when Jesus gave them the, the reins of the church. Right, right. Like, like they were still in their teens. Yeah. Um, yep. But, you know, like, it, I love the picture because it sounds so audacious. Like this, the wolf and the lamb together and the leopard and the young goat. Like, that sounds so ridiculous. Maybe this is how the church should look. Yeah. People that would normally be at each other's throats. Yeah. Or actually at peace with one another. Yeah. So I want to... I just actually tweeted this statement that you said earlier that was so good, and I, you just blew right over it. So I don't even know if you realize how awesome your statement was. Well, I'm so prepared for this. Uh, so <laughs> buckle up, because I'm about ready to dazzle you by yourself. <laughs> by your own words. No, you said, our mission is to make our enemies the friends of God. That's good. Because yeah. it's not about them liking us or us getting them to our side, or it's about helping our enemies see how great God is so that they'll love Him. Mm-hmm. And that is a completely different mindset. Right. Beyond the making them pay for what they did wrong, it's not about even restoring them to me first. It's about the, me facilitating their restoration to Him, and that's just a different just a different mindset that's good that that'll preach mm-hmm. that'll preach dog yeah and I apologize to everybody for having to geek out there but I love it when Remez's work 
they like do a whole argument by tying these contextual stories together and starting with vengeance, which is what every, I don't know about every, but there have got to be people in the church in Rome that as they're listening to Paul's argument, like in their heart, what they want is vengeance. <coughs> like, okay, but is God going to make them pay for all the stuff the Gentiles have done? Mm-hmm. And then Paul just takes them on this little Jewish journey and says, but this has always been our story. Moses told us we would forget it. Mm-hmm. Uh, David reminded us that we would that this was where it was going to go. Isaiah told us that this would come true. This is our call. We can forget it. I love it when that stuff works. Probably not applicable for today. Not at all. That's why I apologize. It probably has nothing to do with We had to go through all that history for nothing. I, I retweeted it. So it's out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So half the world's population between Derek and I we pretty much covered half the global population with that statement to contact those six people <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, he must have five followers then because I've only got me following myself uh, Try, trying to bring this back to something a little bit more serious so something, something else we wanted to drop on you guys with the um, book of Romans Paul actually brought this idea up during sermon club is this this looks like some of these statements that are towards the end look like some of the statements that we've had before. And so we started kicking around the idea of inclusio. Is this an inclusio? Is it a, a chiasm? Is there something else literarily going on here that we're missing? So we started doing a little research. There's actually a lot out there about inclusio and chiasm with the book of Romans. That being said, no one seems to be able to agree on what the center of the chiasm is. So somewhere something's wrong. Um, what we would love is if you're listening to this podcast, go dig in on that and see what you come up with. Yeah, do, do the work for us. Yeah, you you be the students, we'll be the learners, which seems very apropos with Romans 15. Um, I, I would love to hear your input on it, and I know that between now and the next couple of weeks, I'm not going to have time to dig into it the way I should. So, anyway, I, I would love to see some some church scholars dig in and see what they come up with. Can I just say, I'm always impressed when, when like, when we come up with these things, not when we find them, but uh, when we learn that Paul's been doing this all along. Because, like, we broke up Romans into the two chunks, 1 through 11 and 12 through 16. Yeah. And so you have 11 chapters to 4. And you have all this like theological stuff in eleven chapters, and then you have this application stuff in four chapters, and yet now we find out that there might be a chiasm, uh, and and it's perfectly balanced still. Like it seems, it seems unbalanced with the eleven to four, but then you find out actually no, no, there's more going on. Right. Um, it's like you had help. Right. I like that. And I just, well, I think you could even make a case that you could go. Uh, break the the eleven down to a more even number, mm-hmm. where you went one through four, five through eight. I mean, you could you could do that. Yeah. Nine, ten, eleven. I mean, you could do that. But even at that, I still love the. Yeah. I'm just not good at spotting it. Yeah. Well, it seems to be just dead. One of the people we looked at noticed the bookends right at the beginning and right at the end of Romans that talks about the obedience of faith. Yeah. Uh, boy, what a. I mean, that's not like a super odd phrase, but it's odd enough that that sticks out. That's not something you're going to hear. I bet that doesn't show up two more times in the New Testament. It, uh, yeah, I think it. I think it's only Paul that uses it, too. Yeah. Yeah. 
so you have these right where you'd want it to be. But anyway, if you happen to go looking for the center, I mean, 16 chapters, I would guess the center somewhere around 8-1 if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some people said 7-1, then 1 through 6. One through six, yeah. something like that. And then some people mm-hmm. said uh, chapter nine um, was the center. Uh, I I would lean into Romans eight. Obviously, like, how do you get away from that being kind of the central? Like, we're all in a mess, and yet nothing can separate us. And therefore, this is how we should respond to that, both to God and then to each other. Yeah. Like that seems to me to make sense. Yeah. If there's no condemnation. Yeah. How can we give condemnation to our enemies? Like yeah, that would seem yeah. to apply to like all the conversations we've had in Rome. Well, it would sure. certainly seem to reply if you go nine, ten, eleven. We can't condemn God for doing what He does. Who are we to say? Right. Twelve Oof. through sixteen, we can't condemn others because you know what I mean. Like that yeah. seems to me. Oof. So if you can give us work. a scholarly reason to prove eight one. That's so we right. have a lot of we have a lot of theories sitting around in this room, but I don't not a lot of concrete facts. So go digging, yeah. go study. And just so you know, the, the phrase "obedience of faith" only shows up in Romans one and Romans sixteen. Ah, man, love it when that happens. Yeah, that's good. Probably should pay attention to that. Yeah, just to go backwards a little bit. I, I was thinking about how we were talking about the Gentiles and um, how Jews have viewed them as enemies and blah blah blah. Like it seems like that's not just an argument that Paul is making. That seems like a sto- like a lesson God was slowly trying to teach His people through like Daniel in the in the exile and through uh, 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 Jonah and like I don't know. You, I just you see it all over the place. Like God wants them, right? Like they're not your enemies, right? As Derek says, maybe still trying to teach us today, maybe. perhaps. I think he said that. said that they aren't trying to teach us. Yeah, no, we we have this one figured out. We're good. Yeah. I like that. We, yeah. We're good with our. Enemies. I like the sarcasm anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Success with the sarcasm. We're good. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to learn there, and yeah, that'll be hard. I think that's at the root of the human condition. But I think that's what the gospel does. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, hey, thanks for joining us today, and until next week, God bless. Thanks for listening to this week's footnotes, and please keep the discussion going. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can connect with us by emailing comment at liferotp.com or find us on Facebook and Twitter at liferotp. You can find the individual members of the teaching team on Twitter as well, or just visit us on a Sunday morning and connect face-to-face. We hope you'll join us again next week, and until then, God bless.